Amen. That was a blessing, isn't it? Uh, thank you for that lovely song. Uh, once again, heartwarming, soul-steering, and thanks be to God that Sister Angie has the gift in singing it in our language. And thanks be to God, it's also uh, transliter transliterated into English. So our uh, young people here can very much understand what the song is all about. And truly, God never changes, isn't it? His love is as deep, as uh, wonderful as it has ever been since from eternity past. The, the Bible says that God has loved us with an everlasting kind of love, as he said in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. And I know it's the love of Christ that, um, you know, uh, give us the desire to be here this afternoon. And thank you for your presence. Thank you for uh, being here for our second service and for those who are also in tune in their own homes, wherever you are, welcome to our second service. And um, we will continue our series of studies in the life of Christ as we look at the book of Matthew. And um, I was praying and contemplating of um, uh, speaking about the triumphant uh, entry of Christ found in Matthew chapter 21 today. But then I found out that next week is the traditional uh, Palm Sunday triumphant entry. So uh, I was looking at our series of studies um, from between now and next uh, week, if I could be able to make uh, a preparation, a background before we have our, our Good Friday service. So i like to speak about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ getting ready for the cross, the things that had transpired before his crucifixion. So uh, I was thinking of making a chronological study for the next two weeks, but uh, it's going to be topical now because of that little conflict. But anyways, we thank God for the message today. So we'll be speaking about Matthew chapter 26, verse 1 to 13, uh, the Lord getting ready for the cross and everything that has transpired in the chapter. Then also we'll be speaking about that garden as the quiet song about the Garden of Eden, then we will also look at that garden where the victory had been won by Christ. And uh, next Sunday, we will go back to Matthew 21. We'll speak about the uh, triumphant entry of Christ in Jerusalem, and also we'll talk about the two trials that had transpired before his crucifixion. So then our men can be able to preach that Friday. Uh, looking forward to that, um, the Good Friday messages, the seven last utterances of Christ. But um, my main desire and goal is to lift up the name of Jesus because he is worthy to be praised, uh, especially this time of the year. We were talking with the other folks like um, because of this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, our, does our people still observe the Mahal na Araw with all its rituals, di ba? and uh, man-made traditions of uh, sacraments and uh, their oaths and panatas of like, you know, uh, sacrificing themselves some way, in some way to earn the forgiveness of God. So I, I don't really know. Maybe we'll find out in the next coming uh, days. But um, I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to uh, stand with me and we will uh, read Matthew chapter 26, verse 1 to 13. Praise God for a good, good weather we have today, isn't it? It's officially spring, and there's warmth outside, good sunshine, a good day to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, and we thank God that uh, He had allowed, allowed us to reach this far in our lives, in our ministries, and um, 
We'll be reading chapter uh, 26, verses 1 to 13. Then also we'll be reading um, chapter 26, the same chapter, verses 36 to 45. All right? So we'll have a, a lot of reading from God's Word. And uh, let's read this with understanding. I know that the Lord will already bless us as we read God's Holy Word, as we look back what had happened to our Savior 2,000 years ago through the pages of the Bible. So if you're there, say amen. Okay, let's read it all together. Begin. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she had wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she had poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman had done, be told for a memorial of her. Then we'll uh, quickly go to uh, verses 36 to uh, 46 of Matthew chapter 26. Let's begin reading. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them, and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand, that doth betray me." May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for your patience. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for these wonderful scriptures. Thank you, Lord, we can uh, once again look back at the story of uh, the passion of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that this story never gets old. 
because with this great sacrifice of Christ that he displayed on the cross, we have salvation, we have redemption, we have eternal life, Lord. Thank you so much for your plan and program throughout the whole ages, Lord, that the Savior, the Messiah, can be born at one man's heart if they trusted what he has done on the cross and his resurrection for the salvation of their souls. And we pray, Lord, if there's any person in this room or whoever, Lord, will listen to this message that's not sure that they have a personal relationship with Christ, they are not sure or certain that they have heaven as their home, they are not sure or certain that the relationship with God is reconciled, may this be the time and hour that they will surrender their will upon thee. They will trust the finished work of Christ on the cross, his blood atonement, once and for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. We pray, Lord, that you uh, help us, keep us safe as we uh, worship you today. And I pray that you forgive me for my sins and my shortcomings. And we pray for your unction and we pray for understanding heart and listening ears as we look at your word. May Christ, our Savior, be honored and glorified this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may all be seated. As we continue our studies in the book of Matthew about the life of Christ, if you like to have a, a, a quick and, and brief outline of our studies as we uh, portray that Matthew's chapters 1 to 4, we can hear the person of Jesus Christ. We see his conception, his birth, his uh, baptism, his childhood. Then chapters 5 to 7, we see here uh, the principles of Christ during the longest sermon ever preached in the Sermon of the Mount. Then chapters 8 to 25, we see here the powers of Christ, his miraculous healings of different sicknesses, his parables that he taught, his preachings that he taught. Then chapter 26 is the passion of Christ all the way leading to his resurrection in chapters 28. So um, our first part of our message is this from verses 1 to 13 of Matthew chapter 26. So we'll have a Bible study this afternoon. So bear with me as we look back at this wonderful passage of Scripture during this time of the year. First thing that we can see in verses 1 of, and 2 is the announcing of the cross by Jesus Christ himself, as we read a while ago in chapters 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, verse 1, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. We know that the feast of the Passover in the Jewish calendar is the first feast that they observe in that yearly time. It is Christ here telling his disciples that he will be crucified in two days at the Passover feast. And we know in the history of the Jews that it was a lamb that was killed at the first Passover when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. When they had that mass exodus from being in bondage, in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And we know the story, the 10th plague, which uh, convicted and changed the mind of Pharaoh when the death angel comes and he doesn't see the blood being applied on the sides of the door and the doorpost, like the shape of the cross. Then the death angel will smite the firstborn of every home and even the first uh, flock, firstborn uh, of every uh, animals in that place. But if he sees the blood, they will pass over and they have to undergone uh, uh, a, a series of ritual, how to uh, eat unleavened bread, how to uh, sacrifice that animal 
and eat it with bitter herbs. And we know that that's the first Passover and they've been observing it in a yearly basis until this point of time. There is a, that perfect lamb that was killed and its blood applied. And as we know from history, from the Bible, when the death angel approached, he would pass over those homes where he saw the blood applied. And they celebrated this, but this year, where Christ had this event with the, with the disciples this year, it would be the sinless, spotless, and perfect Lamb of God who will now be sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. The once and for all sacrifice, as we have studied in our Sunday school, everything that was done on the cross on, on the Old Testament are shadows, are symbols, are types of the coming through real thing, which is the once and for and for all perfect sacrifice of Jesus. We know that Christ would die as a volunteer. He would give his life. No one would take his life from him. And even death would not be able to hold his life down for long. But evil men had their own plan to kill Jesus. And in the end, they thought that they had done just that. But as we always know, you can keep the God man down. Because God, the Father, has a plan for his son. So there's the... Announcing of the cross by Jesus Christ himself. And, and we know that the disciples don't even understand this, isn't it? Even Peter is trying to hinder the plan of God for Christ to go on the cross. Because they were thinking that Christ came in the first time of his advent to establish his earthly kingdom. So second thing we can see is the arranging of the cross by man. Chapters 26 verses 3 to 5. As this is the Passover, is the feast, there are perhaps two to three million Jews that had gathered in Jerusalem for this feast. And many of them came from Galilee, the fans of Jesus, people that he had healed, people that he had fed, people that he had preached unto. Many were from Galilee where he was popular. Many of these had lined the streets just a few days before, singing his praises as he rode into town, the triumphant entry of Christ. So this religious leader said, He's, let's not cause an uproar, let's wait till after the Passover when all these people go home. So they are planning, concocting, uh, you know, um, catching Christ, but we have a, a phrase there that you can't foil the plans of God. Amen? Because God is always sovereign. He is completely in control of all things. He allowed things to happen, setting up the stage, even using the devil himself and men, but it's setting up the stage of something that will give honor and glory to God. And sometimes we look at the scripture and we see how come uh, if God has foreknowledge, he allowed things to happen. And there's suffering, there's this and that. And we know our, his ways are not our ways, isn't it? His thoughts are not our thoughts. But ultimately, we can rest to this truth that everything that happened in this world will ultimately give glory and honor to God. And people will just bow their hearts and their knees before God and will confess Jesus Christ is truly Lord. And we cannot comprehend and put it all together right now, but when we get to heaven, we'll see how, and we will experience and we will truly say how awesome God is. Isn't it? But man cannot foil the plans of God. He is still in full control even when circumstances seem they could not be any worse. And God is orchestrating everything according to his plan and indeed, Jesus is right, is going to be crucified at Passover in two days. So thirdly, there is the anointing for the cross by Mary in verses 6 to 7. 
We see here it's a, a very lovely act. This happened at Bethany. It's a retreat spot where Jesus sometimes went to rest or get away from it all. It's a nice name, isn't it? Bethany. Place of retreat or rest. It seems that Christ spent his days and that final week in Jerusalem and his nights in Bethany. Simon was likely a leper that Jesus had healed. And tradition says that um, he's the father of Mary and Lazarus. And he's putting on a dinner for Christ and his disciples. And this Mary who gave this uh, uh, wonderful sacrifice of alabaster box, this costly perfume, is uh, the Mary who is deeply a spiritual woman that we always find at the feet of Jesus when we hear about her. So it was custom in those days to anoint a special guest with just a few drops of ointment or perfume on their head and their feet. It was an act of courteous kindness. Hers, hers was a precious ointment that the Gospel of John indicates was worth a full year's wages. Imagine that. Parang first fruit offering niya, you know? Full year's wages. She uses not just a few drops, but pours the entire contents out lavishly. So what is the lesson we can learn from this? Great Christians have appeared in all ages, and they have one thing in common. The martyrs, uh, the missionaries who left their comforts in America or other parts of the world and go to a hard mission field where they are uh, uh, barbaric tribes and they could even lose their lives. Everybody who had sacrificed so much for the Christ, these are called Christians, great Christians. They live their lives with a reckless abandon when it comes to expressing their love for Jesus. Reckless abandon. They sacrifice to such a degree that they are sometimes criticized for it. That they are too fanatic. You know, as we know, if we talk about sports, some people are going overboard of the, their favorite team. And they're fanatic and they are very supportive of that team and they paint their, their faces, they paint their bodies, and they go and support even in the coldest day of, of that, 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 that event. And they spend a lot of money with their season's pass and they just want to be there and, because they're fans, fanatic of that certain sport. But you see someone who gets excited nowadays about Jesus, you know, and they say, good night, they're so fanatic with Jesus. But it's good to be called that way, isn't it? To be a wonderful fanatic for Christ. So here is a person who is giving a lovely act, sacrificing a great deal for Jesus Christ. Then verses 8 to 9, there is a lowly attack because what happened? As we read the story uh, that the disciples were struck with the indignation of these ways. This sounds more like something that the Pharisees who hate Jesus Christ would usually say, but look at this, it was his own disciples, the ones who were supposed to love him supremely. How did they get such a warped perspective? In John chapter 12, it reveals here that Judas was behind this selfish attitude. And we know that there's a few in every crowd. Yung nagiging parang Judas, di ba? Um, and we cannot listen to them. They are, they are the fault finders who look for what's wrong in everything, not what's right. They are what we call the chief critics and feel it is their calling to, to throw cold water on the fires of others. Uh, sad, isn't it? At the heart of their problem is the fact that they don't want to get serious about serving Jesus and they don't want you to be either 
They never intend to give their very best to Jesus, and they don't want you to do it either because it makes them feel badly about themselves and it put them under conviction. May mga ganitong klaseng, sometimes mga Christiano, who has this selfish attitude. They called Mary's sacrifice a waste. It is a total waste. That's how the world looks at it, at a Christian, a faithful Christian. When we, when we give our offerings, when we give our tithes, when we um, go to church, when we give our time, talent, and treasure to the Lord, sometimes they think it's a waste. Sometimes that's how they feel about us when, when we get up on their sleep during Sunday morning and go to church. They said, what a waste. But the real truth is, that whatsoever is not done for Christ is the real waste. Isn't it? Whatsoever is not done for Christ is the real waste. We have a song, Only One Life, So Soon It Will Pass. Only what the, what's done for Christ is the one that will last. Isn't it? But that's not done. What's not done for Christ is the real waste. I mean, you could make a million dollars if you could. That's a blessing, isn't it? But if you live for yourself, for your house, your cars, your boats, and RVs, your life will be a waste. You can find fame and fortune or go to school and get more degrees than a thermometer. But if you don't live for Christ, then your life will be a waste. Yes, you can have probably that fun or sense of accomplishment. But when it comes to a spiritual, you know, measurement by God, then it's a waste. Isn't it? Because those things will fade away. Those things will be eaten by rust and mold and they will conquer. And we cannot bring them when we die to get to heaven. But what is done for Christ in the right motive with love for his glory will remain. So what you're doing right now is an eternal investment. Amen? You're investing in your soul, in your spirit, in your relationship with God. So look at this. The disciple says it's a waste. But look, Christ rebuked them. Christ rebuked them because it is interesting in this passage of Scripture that Jesus later calls Judas the son of perdition because the word perdition could be literally rendered waste. Huh? The man who is calling this act of worship by Mary a waste is named by Jesus as the son of waste because he wastes the opportunity to really know God, to really know Christ because he went through the motion and everything and at the end he betrayed the Lord, isn't it? In verse 9, Judas says, we could have given this money to the poor. Uh, that's a good uh, uh, front, isn't it? Now we know he's the treasurer of the group. He has the bag of money. As the Bible says in John 12, 6. If you turn there, John 12, 6, the scripture says, this he said, that this was a waste, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. So, Nangungupit siya, no? Sa offering <laughs> nung mga disciples, you know? Then in John chapter 12, verse 14 to 16, we know that um, Judas betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver and may have been equivalent of what we call right now 20 bucks in, in our colloquial term. 20 bucks. It was the price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. Judas, look at this, has been in hell for about 2,000 years now, for about a dollar per century, isn't it? 20 bucks, you know, a dollar per century. Some say 
This wage was more like a few months' wages, but clearly even so, it proved not to be worth it, even for lost Judas, who in the next chapter gives it back to the chief priest. In chapter 27, gave it back to him, and, you know, he hung himself. Went out and hung himself. So this lowly attack from the disciples then, especially to Judas, is repulsive. But look at this loving approval from the Lord, from verses 10 to 13 of Matthew 26, we read a while ago. It says there, When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she had wrought a good work upon me. Jesus says anything that was done for him is never a waste. And we know there's a lot of ways in today's world to waste time and money. But when it comes to giving, time or treasure to God is nothing but a good investment. Praise be to God to that, isn't it? And when we set our affection on things above, not just on the things on the earth, when God allows us to serve Him and to live for Him by His grace. Somebody says grace is like this. Grace is God's goodness and kindness toward us without regard to our worth, value, or efforts, and in spite of what we deserve. Aren't you glad for the grace of God in our lives? Grace is God's goodness and kindness toward us without regard to our worth, value, or efforts, and in spite of what we deserve. In every history of man, it's the only one thing we can all agree that saves any man, the grace of God, isn't it? That undeserved favor, unmerited love, the kindness of God towards us without our worth, our value, or efforts. That's why we can only get to heaven by the grace of God. And we thank God for that. So this loving approval of the Lord was expressed to Mary, and we see here that there's a great commendation wheresoever this gospel in verse 13 shall be preached in the whole world, there's also this that this woman had done be told for a memorial of her. Isn't it? That's really amazing. How did Mary have such an insight? Usually such an anointing would be done after the death of a person, not before. But Mary knew that Christ's body would never see corruption. Amen? Because he knew he, he's always at the feet of Christ, listening to his teachings, that there is that moment, the event of the resurrection. She spent her time at the feet of Jesus. And symbolically, he is predicting the future uh, death and burial of Christ. That's why when we preach the gospel, we have the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Because, look at this woman, Mary did. He was predicting, ha having this truth that Christ, yes, he will die, but his flesh will never see corruption. So whenever we, see the we preach the gospel in this dispensation, we always say the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. So what's the lesson here? Don't be afraid to go overboard for Jesus, just as Mary did. It should be a privilege to be called a fanatic for the Lord. What we do for Jesus, what we give to God, these are things that are of eternal value. Amen? And then we look in verses 14. Uh, Jesus, Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus from verses 14 all the way to 16. Then verse 17 all the way to 30. We see here the Last Supper of Christ with the disciples. Then verses 31 all the way to 35. We see here the denial of Peter foretold. Then... We'll go now to the message, main message as a two-part. Now we see Jesus in the garden 
of Gethsemane. So we will look at some palms in the garden of Gethsemane. So um, just outside Jerusalem was a little garden, the garden of Gethsemane, because this garden spot is on the western slope of the Mount of Olives where Jesus frequently went. The temple lay directly opposite it across the Kidron Valley. It was the place of Christ's agonizing prayer, Judas' betrayal, and Christ's arrest. And we once again had the privilege enough, if Sister Judith remembers this, we were in that garden. And we had a little tour how um, they make um, olives because Gethsemane means oil press. And we saw those trees there and, uh, um, and the olives that you can see and, and, and pick and, and the leaves. And it's, it's a nice garden. And it's, it's kind of big. And you can even uh, go all the way uh, in a deeper part, deeper part of that garden. So Jerusalem has always been a very crowded city. Property is hard to come by during that time. And the wealthy would purchase private garden spots on the slopes of Mount of Olives. And this is one of them, the Garden of Gethsemane. And we, we can say, tradition say, this one was probably owned by a friend of the Lord Jesus and was a special place for him to go for rest, relaxation, and prayer. And the lesson here is I hope that every one of us have that special place also in our lives as a Christian to get alone with God. A place of prayer Rest and relaxation, we can just, you know, maybe a part of your homes. We can just open our Bible and in a quiet time and talk to the Lord. And as I said, Gethsemane means oil press. Evidently, it was a place where they would harvest the olive tree. The olives from the trees press and crush them to remove the oil. This is significant because Jesus was about to be crushed and pressed. So the oil of salvation could flow freely to the world. Amen? The oil of salvation. Sounds so good. This side of heaven, we may never understand what Jesus went through that night in that garden. Our vocabulary would go bankrupt to try to express the depth of that experience. It was that Jesus surrendered to, the, to go to the cross in that garden. Here, where the battle was already won by Christ in that garden. It was here in the garden that the victory of the cross was actually won. So let's approach this message for a few more minutes with some reverence because we're on holy ground as we use our sanctified imaginations as we walk together into this garden. So several palms will notice along this path. First thing is the palm of sorrow. Look at verse 37 and 38 of Matthew chapter 26. It says there, uh, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, all right, the three inner circle, three closest disciples to Christ, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, verse 38, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So the phrase exceeding sorrowful comes from one Greek word meaning he was surrounded by sorrows or in a whirlpool of sorrow, engulfed by sorrow. So why did he experience this sorrow in the garden? Three reasons. First is the emotional suffering he was about to endure. Jesus was subjected to every negative emotional attack 
possible, isn't it? Despite of every, a lot of good things he had done. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. I think we have a passage of scripture. Luke 22, 44. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You know, um, we have a medical language when somebody has blood as their sweat, you know. I, I think it is um, hematidrosis. That's what uh, the medical term is. Or bloody sweat in which under extreme uh, stress, the blood vessels actually burst on your uh, head and that caused some bleeding. And perhaps Christ was kneeling there. He placed his palms of sorrow over his face as sweat of great drops of blood came flowing down his face. Add to distress the unbelief of people calling him a liar and blasphemer, isn't it? It hurts to have your integrity doubted. Sincerity being questioned with everything that he has done. So what are these things that allowed him to have this emotional suffering? Unbelief of people calling him a liar, a lunatic, but thanks be to God, we call him Lord, amen? Either, you know, people are saying that to Christ even right now, he's a liar, he's crazy, he's lunatic, but praise be to God, we can call him Lord, our master, our savior. Praise be to God by his grace. So he was rejected of his own people that he loved, as the Bible says in John, he came unto his own, but his own received him not as a nation. They re rejected Christ as their Messiah. He was hated by the religious leaders of that day, people who are respected, but he was hated by them, and they plot to kill Christ. And, and sad to say, isn't it? We have that uh, sad thing that's happening even right now, anti-Semitism, and they're blaming the Jews. They're the ones who really killed Jesus. But in a spiritual sense, it is our sins that nailed him to the cross. Amen? The sins of the whole world, either you're Jew or you're Gentile. Yes, it was the Roman government, um, legally speaking, that allowed his condemnation and the religious plot, his, his death, but in a spiritual sense, it, has, it is our sins that nailed him there. But praise be to God, it's also his love that kept him on the cross instead of turning his back and, and escaping the agony. But he did it. Because he loved us. Because there was no other way. So, this emotional suffering, unbelief of the people, you know, rejection of the people, hatred of religious leaders. How about the betrayal of his one of his disciples? Judas. 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 No? Kaya walang nagpapangalang Judas sa kanilang anak. It's so traumatizing. No? Betrayal of Judas Iscariot who walked with him for three years. He prayed with him. He was his treasurer, but he betrayed him with the price of the slave. Then, not just Judas, he was deserted by all the disciples. And we know that's coming while he was there in the garden. Then the coming denial of one of his own, which he also predicted the denial of Peter, one that is closest to him. The injustice of the coming trial, that kangaroo court, six illegal things that had happened during that night of trial, that they broke every law of jurisprudence of that day. He was convicted of crimes for which he was not guilty. He knew he would be further ridiculed, spit upon, striped, uh, stripped naked, you know, being beat, a crown of thorns in her head, 
greatest indignity put to open shame. So all of these things put together put such a, 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 a tremendous emotional suffering with Christ. If you or I experience any of the above, we would be devastated, isn't it? Yet Jesus went through it all at once. At once. See, we can say salvation may be free, but it's not cheap. Amen? It costs everything the Lord, even his life's blood. With palms of sorrow upon his face, he endured that emotional suffering. What else? There's also the physical suffering. He knew a rugged cross awaited him, and they say to be crucified is to die a thousand kinds of death. Is, is I believe, the most excruciating kind of death. You know, the Romans got it from the Carthaginians in Africa where they see people being crucified on the cross and sometimes it takes you days, even weeks before a person die and they, they feel every pain and agony in every part of their body, in their nerves, in their bones when you are crucified. And we heard like descriptions of this, isn't it? Verse 34, it makes it clear his emotional suffering led to physical suffering immediately even we, he uh, read the phrase, even unto death. His physical body recoils at the thought, now that he not that Christ was afraid to die, for he faced death with courage and with perfect peace. But, humanly speaking, no one is in their right mind to look forward to the torture of death. Isn't it? You're not looking forward to dying. If the doctor gives you a choice between living and dying as a human being, you always take living every time. Isn't it? We have this skill, uh, thing called in us built uh, self-preservation. Isn't it? In us. We have this built-in defense mechanism to resist pain and death. Because that's just normal. But can you see the palms of sorrow as Jesus looks down at his hands knowing in advance the spikes which will be driven through them? But the worst part of his suffering is not just physical or emotional, but his spiritual suffering. This was the worst. Look at verse 39. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What is that cup being referred here? This is the divine wrath of God, his judgment over sin that was placed on Christ. Let this cup pass from me. Because as Christ is going to utter on the seventh Last sayings on the cross, you know, Father, my Father, why hast thou forsaken me? It never happened in all eternity that the Father and the Son had been separated, that their fellowship was cut off. But when Christ was hanging on the cross from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock on the ninth hour, the whole sins of the whole world from the past, present, and in the future for all men who had lived was poured upon Christ, being judged by the wrath of God, that God the Father cannot even look at the Son because he became sin to us, that he has to turn his back, forsake him in that agony, in that darkness. So, meaning Christ suffered hell for us on the cross, isn't it? That was that cup that he was trying to pray to the Father it could ever be passed, humanly speaking. But God the Father knew there is no other way. Sin has to be judged. You know, wrath has to be poured out. 
and Christ has to endure all of that. He says, let this, pass cup, let this cup pass from me, but not as my will but thine be done. He was praying earnestly, fervently during this time. In that cup was much more than physical or emotional suffering, for in that cup was the sin of all humanity, accumulated sin of all the ages about to be laid upon the sinless, perfect Son of God. And we cannot even pretend to imagine the repugnance he must have felt at the thought of becoming our sin. Because all the way from all eternity, he's holy. He's just, he's righteous. Even for the past 33 and a half years in his earthly life, he obeyed all the law, fulfilled all the law, obeyed all the commandments. But right now, he's going to become sin for us. We can't imagine, isn't it? We cannot comprehend. To the point that his own father could not look upon him. That's why he would cry that cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The palm of sorrow. This cup that he has to endure. But secondly, we can see the palm of surrender. Verse 42. He went away again the second time and praying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it. Now, now his prayers are being concrete. He is like surrendering now his will to God except I drink it thy will be done thy will be done amen to that in his humanity he may have buried his face in palms of sorrow but thank God he looked up with palms of surrender on that garden of Gethsemane another garden to consider today as the choir had sung this afternoon the garden of Eden you see a uh, a uh, 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 a great contrast here, a great difference. In the Garden of Eden, 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 here the first Adam exerted his own will and brought about the ruin and damnation of the human race. Yes, free will was there. They know the commandments of the Lord. We know Eve was deceived by the serpent and Adam was given the commandment. He knows what's going to happen. He took out, took uh, part of the, the fruit of the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he sinned willingly, you know. And uh, we know that that brought forth the uh, corruption of human because in Adam, the Bible says in the book of Romans, we all die because we are created in the similitude of Adam. Now that image of God was distorted, was corrupted because of sin. And Adam is our federal head of humanity. And the blessing is the same way Christ, the last Adam, the perfect Adam, is our federal head. So if in Adam all die, uh, wonderful studies in the book of Romans, so in Christ shall all be made alive, the Bible says, isn't it? Thanks be to God for the last Adam. If Adam, the first Adam, exerted his own will and brought about ruin and damnation of the human race, but praise be to God, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, did not exert his own will because we read he he said, thy will be done. Even this cup is unbearable, but thy will be done, O Father. He did not exert his own will, but he deserted his own will. And in doing so, brought about the redemption of the human race. The first Adam says, my, my will be done and brought about death. But the last Adam said, thy will be done. And the result was life and salvation. Thanks be to God 
for that palm of surrender that he did for God's will. And when I think of that surrendering of Jesus' will, it makes me wonder how can we ever exert an, our own wills sometimes in the face of the Almighty God, isn't it? And daily, isn't it, we make choices. And we answer either, my will, Lord, or thy will. And where can we find God's will? It's written in the pages of this Bible, amen? His active will, his perfect will in our lives. You know, um, we always face that question, is it my will or thy will, Lord, in just getting up even an hour early on a Sunday to get ready for church, isn't it? Or when we commit something to do for the Lord. And daily we make choices and we answer either my will or thy will. You face that question every day. And there's an enemy, the devil, who, Satan, who tries to keep us busy and give us alternatives to being faithful to God's house. And we will always answer my will or thy will. When we give our tithes and offering to the Lord, is it my will or thy will, Lord? When we serve him or others, is, is it my will or thy will, Lord? When we witness to others, when we work uh, with dignity, is it my will or thy will be done, Lord? And sadly, sometimes in Christianity nowadays, especially in America, we sing, I surrender all, isn't it? But sometimes it should be sung with honesty and be sung like this, Some to Jesus I surrender, some to him I freely give. I will sometimes love and trust him in his presence, sometimes live. Diba? Yeah. He deserves better than that, isn't it? He deserves better than that. But look at Christ with complete and total palms of surrender. He willingly gave all. And so should we by the grace of God. So we've seen his palms of sorrow, his palms of emotional suffering. We see that in the blood sweat in his face. His physical suffering, the nails that will be driven in his hands and his feet. His spiritual suffering. When he was looking in that cup, he held in his palms, spiritually speaking. So that is the palms of surrender. But he said, thy will be done. Then lastly, and we'll end with this, his palm of submission in verse 50. After all these things, you know, um, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid their hands on Jesus and took him. The palms of his enemies, those that were about to execute him, came. And we see that in verses 51 to 56. Jesus knew that they were coming. He could probably feel the ground shake from the trampling of marching feet. Maybe a thousand of them came just to arrest a carpenter's son. Amen? And the uh, Roman soldiers are bringing swords. And uh, the Jewish people that came to that place are, are the Bible says, brought knives or, or clubs, you know, because they're not allowed to have their swords with them. Only the Romans have that kind of weapon. So they came uh, with shouts of the mob and lights of torches. And uh, we know the story that enabled for Judas to identify who is Christ among the Roman soldiers. He has to give the sign of that kiss. Judas 
betrayal kiss. But we see here, after Christ prayed in that garden, after he said to the disciples, okay, now you can wake up, don't sleep anymore because the hour is at hand. He's ready now, amen? Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, to endure the cross for the next coming 24 hours. Yeah? All the things that he will endure as we have seen in the Gospels with the passion of Christ, his sufferings from the illegal trial all the way to the beating, all the way to the putting of the crown of thorns in, in his head, all the way of uh, carrying that wooden cross to Golgotha, then being uh, nailed there and hanging there for six literal hours, all those suffering, now he's ready, he submits himself to this man. Jesus did not run, resist, but with palms of submission, you know, he did what he'd already committed to do. Yes, first and foremost, he had surrendered to God, but now he was submitting to men. Verse 47, it was a great multitude. As I said, a thousand armed soldiers came out to arrest a carpenter, the Prince of Peace. And we know from other Gospels, when, you know, Christ responded that they fell backward, isn't it? When they asked where he is, they fell backward. What power? If Christ said, okay, you can be normal again, they're still going to fall backward. They cannot get up. What power? But he surrendered all of that. He became our lamb who was brought to the slaughter. He became obedient unto death, as the Bible says in Hebrews, even the death of the cross. You see his betrayal. Now Peter is awake before he was asleep, along with the others, which might explain why they all forsake Jesus and fled. They had been sleeping when they were supposed to be praying with him. Isn't it? But Christ said he will desert them. He will be deserted by him. Peter, especially, did something which is rash. He took his sword, trying to be the hero, and tried to swing that, tried to kill somebody, but he has a poor aim, isn't it? Instead of the head, he chopped one of the servant's ear. You know? How do you Sisig. Oh, ear. Oh, human ear. Uh, Malchus, I believe that's the name, one of the servants. But, once again, Christ did something of a miracle, took that fallen ear on the ground, reattached it, healed that guy. said, the kingdom of God will not be conquered by sword, isn't it? But by my sacrifice, my resurrection. Jesus told Peter to put it away, pick up that ear, healed it. Good thing he did, because if he did not, there would have been four crosses. Would have been on that uh, Calvary, Mount Calvary during the day. Even Peter, premature. But God has a plan with Peter, isn't it? <laughs> and he represents all of us most of the time, sometimes. But God will change Peter from being a coward to be a courageous man. Be used tremendously, especially in the day of Pentecost and preach 3,000 people will get saved. So this is like something that they have to learn in a hard way. But Christ chose the cup, isn't it, over the sword. Praise be to God. So the question this afternoon, what's in your cup right now? Is it sorrow? Is it suffering? Is it emotional, physical, or spiritual? The lesson today, will you surrender it to God? 
and just say, Lord, thy will be done. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for these uh, short excerpts of the Passion of Christ where we can look back at the chapter of the book of Matthew as we prepare our hearts, Lord, for this coming uh, commemoration of wh what you did for us on the cross. And uh, we might be doing this every year, Lord, but I believe, Lord, this year, 2021, we look forward for it to be a something special. With everything that the world is experiencing right now because of what this virus had impacted the world, the change. But thank you, Lord, that our greatest hope is not placed in our government or any institution in this world or maybe a cure for something, but our greatest hope of our lives is always placed in the hands of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one that will make all things new, that will change everything. So right now we might be experiencing some tribulations, some suffering. We have this cup probably that we have. We have our own burdens. And we have that song that only we, O oh Lord, that can fill our cup, our spiritual cup, because we recognize, we realize that we have a need. All of us, we have a need, Lord, either spiritual, emotional, physical, and we know, Lord, you know that need, and you're concerned with that need. So for Christians here, what's in your spiritual cup today? Some sorrow, some suffering, some anxieties. I ask you, please surrender it to God. Cast it upon Him. For burden and load of care. And ask Him for His guidance, for His strength. If you're here, it's God's will for you to be saved. It's perfect will for every man. Not to perish, but have everlasting life. But it's your choice. God did His part. He purchased our salvation through the blood of His Son. If you're here today, you can hear the gospel that of Christ, that God loves you. He died for you. He shed His blood on the cross. And He resurrected from the grave. Why not trust Him? Why not trust His finished work on the cross for your salvation? It's never a religion. It's never good works. Because if that is the way to get to heaven, then there's no more reason for Christ to come and suffer if man can find his way to God. But God knew we can't. He has to give his life's blood. So right now, just surrender your will to him. Trust what Christ had done. Pray to him this way. Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross. You shed your blood. You were buried and you rose again so I can have salvation. I repent of all my sins. Forgive me. And I receive you in my heart by faith as my Lord and personal Savior. Live inside of me and help me to know you and serve you as the days go by. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hope you have heard 
that simple plan of salvation, a, a guide to prayer of accepting the Lord. And I urge you to trust Him and Him alone for your salvation. As we had sung a while ago, in Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, my salvation is given. But for Christians here, I don't know what you're going through. What is that cup you have to endure? Maybe some affliction. Once again, I encourage you, let's give it to the Lord. Let's surrender it to Him. Father God in heaven, as your people prayed, pray this time, you know what we need. Lord, thank you for the instruction, for the encouragement that what we invest in Jesus, work and his kingdom is never a waste, as the woman called Mary did for the sake of Christ, honoring him. Thank you, Lord, that in this life, even though we are experiencing some suffering, it is your plan and design, Lord, to strengthen our faith, to make us more depend, dependent upon you, Lord. And you will give us the ample grace, sufficient grace, Lord, to endure it, and to come out of it, Lord, a better Christian. But we need your grace, Lord. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. Because if we just rely on in our own understanding and strength, we know we will fail, we will get weak. That's why we need the Lord every hour. We need to be constantly be reminded of your words, your promises of your assurance to us. We pray, Lord, to this world that we're living in. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of chaos happening as we are living in the latter end of the last days before your soon return for your for your church, for your bride. Help us, Lord, to be steadfast, though, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord, because the victory has already been won by Christ on the cross and His resurrection. And as a couple of, week, of weeks will go by, as we remember your death, as we have this cantata, it's Good Friday service, here in our Lord's table, Lord, may our relationship to Thee be closer than ever before. We'll appreciate what You've done for us. Yes, Lord, it will never grow old, the story of Calvary, because it's a story that gave us redemption. Help us, Lord, to share it to others, even though the world thinks that the cross is foolishness, but for us that believe is the power of God unto salvation, Lord. In that cross of shame, we see the wonderful demonstration of God's love and His grace upon us. Thank you, Lord. That's all we can say. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. Help us, Lord, to love you back. Help us, Lord, to love the things that you love. Thank you for speaking to us today. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for uh, listening to the Word of God today. Appreciate it. Before we call Pastor Jether to lead us in our closing song, a uh, quick announcement for our, our missions 
meeting for the missions committee. We'll have a brief, hopefully, uh, meeting to finalize our um, missionaries and some things uh, after um, the service. And the Zoom link will be sent to those uh, involved shortly. So thank you. <laughs>